Best Friends Finance, because when women talk about money, it's worth a million. Welcome to Best Friends Finance, empowering women to take control of their financial future by talking about money with friends. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Best Friends Finance. It's Amanda Kessler and my co-host, Laura Ford, and I are so thrilled to have you with us today for our first ever Greatest Hits episode. What the heck is a Greatest Hits episode? It's the re-airing of a previous episode that we recognized is very relevant right now and hopefully helpful to a lot of our listeners. So we started this podcast almost a year ago. You guys, it's going to be a year in the end of January. Can you believe that? Less than two months from our one-year anniversary. And we have covered a lot of topics when it comes to women and money in that almost year. But we started with the basics. So when we first launched, we shared our personal money stories. And then episode four was certified financial planner, Katie Green, who joined us to talk about what you do when you're ready to start. If you've been listening for any amount of time, you know that Laura and I have a funny backstory in that we were experiencing great financial success in our careers, but we had very little financial prowess when it came to managing our money. As in, we didn't want to deal with it until a few key conversations with friends changed the trajectory of our financial lives by opening our eyes to what was possible and inspiring us to make significant changes. So, By talking about money with friends, we went from being total financial flunkies, I'm talking spend everything you make kind of people, to savvy savers and conscientious spenders, to people who are preparing for the future while managing to live well today. And it really is all about the conversation, but we needed to know where to start. And Katie gave us such a wonderful roadmap. So since we started, the question we get from our listeners on social media and by email more than anything else is, I'm just like you used to be. I'm ready to get started. What should I do first? Rather than reinvent the wheel, since a lot of you have started listening in the 40-some episodes that we've released since this one aired, we're going to re-air Katie's episode to give you the roadmap for your own path to success so you can start your journey to financial independence. And side note, since we recorded this episode, Miss Katie Green recently got engaged to her sweet fiance. So congratulations, Katie. She's about to have a whole bunch of new financial conversations about money and marriage. We're so excited for you, Katie. So we hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. Well, I could not be more excited to have our first ever episode with a guest and our very first guest being Katie Green, certified financial planner and certified financial analyst. We'll learn more about what that means. Katie is a young woman who I met at a networking event. So my friend put together something where we went and had drinks and and it was about 20 women sharing a little bit about their businesses. And when Katie said that she is passionate about helping women achieve financial literacy and take ownership of their finances. I mean, I basically attacked her. I was so excited because I'm like, this is what I'm passionate about. I want to talk to you, you know, all about it and talked her ear off. And um, she ended up putting together a meeting for women that I work with in my business to give us tips on um, taking control of our personal finances. And it was so helpful. And it was a no-brainer for Katie to be our first guest on our show. So Katie, welcome. Good morning. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. And uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I had a lot of fun meeting you. Uh, the I think the thing that I said that really set it off was, I have women tell me every single day, I'm just so bad at this money thing. And the reality is you're not bad at the money thing. 
But a lot of women have a lot of fear, a lot of shame, and just need somebody to help them with setting some goals and getting some direction. So I work with a lot of women every day and and help them with understanding the steps that they need to take to to get to where they want to go. Because a lot of them um, grew up in places where maybe they weren't talked to about money or uh, didn't get a good understanding of investing or what a 401k is. Um, and you know, sometimes it's the simplest things that make the biggest difference for you. Can you tell us what does, what does CFP and CFA mean? What does Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So CFP is certified financial planner. Um, really it's the gold standard for financial advisors in our, in our industry. Um, if you're out there and you're looking for somebody, you want to find somebody, uh, who is a CFP, Um, What that means is they have a fiduciary duty to do what's in your best interest. Um, We can thank Charles Schwab for making the word fiduciary a a household name. (laughs) I have clients (laughs) ask me all the time, are you a fiduciary? Yes, I am. Uh, They don't know what it means, but what it means is, am I required to act in your best interest? And um, the CFP really sets sets that gold standard within the financial services industry. Um, It's kind of like having a master's in financial planning. Um, And then the CFA, that stands for Chartered Financial Analyst. Um, If CFP is the master's, this is the doctorate. Uh, So it's a much more difficult program. There's uh, three sets of tests that you have to pass consecutively, kind of like the CPA. um, And about 1% of financial advisors actually hold this designation. So really, really tough thing to get. It's turned out to be a really neat organization to be a part of. I'm on the board here in Colorado, and um, they've taken me around the world. I got to go to Hong Kong a couple years ago to go to our annual conference. There's 160 members throughout the world. And, um, you know, it's really neat to meet people like I met a gal, she lives in Barbados, and um, the challenges that they face, they're helping their governments become more financially sound. You know, there's just so much that we take for granted here in America when it comes to our money and banking system and just making sure that it's actually doing what it's supposed to be doing for people. Um, So it's, it's a neat experience because you get to see these people in all of their walks of life throughout the world where we've got something in common, but also like... There's some things that are really, really different that they're trying to solve for. That's pretty incredible. So as opposed to Laura and me, who are by no means experts, and we are just um, passionate personal finance fanatics, you are truly an expert. So we we can... (laughs) Thank you. That's wonderful to have your expertise on our show. So Katie, I'm really curious. This is one thing that I think that as our podcast evolves that we're excited to hear is people's money stories. Like what led you, like, what do you remember about growing up around money and what led you down this path to become a financial planner and analyst? Yeah. So the thing that made me become a financial planner really goes back to the story of my childhood. Um, My grandparents grew up on a farm and when they were in their twenties, my grandfather got a job at a movie theater and he was a a manager of a drive-in movie theater. Worked really hard. All he had was a high school degree, never went to college, but he ended up creating an organization that um, puts popcorn machines in movie theaters all around the world. So really, really hardworking entrepreneur, you know, he finds a need and he, and he would fill it. It wasn't anything, uh, it wasn't rocket science, right? Like popcorn machines. Okay. Anybody could do that. Uh, but it was something that with hard work and, and some diligence really took them a lot of places. 
my parents divorced when I was about 10 years old. And so my mom raised me as a single mom. I still have a great relationship with both my parents, but um, really it was mostly with my mom who I was with growing up and she was a teacher and, and money was really, really tight for her. And I just saw her make poor financial decisions as I was growing up. She didn't realize that they were bad decisions at the time. Um, but looking back, there's things that she would have done differently. And a lot of it had to do with living outside of her means. And she did it because she wanted to provide for me. And it looked like having huge credit card bills and, and things like that, that were just really uh, overwhelming for her. And so I vowed as a, as a teenager that I never wanted to have my family um, in that situation and that I wanted to be able to help others to avoid some of those pitfalls that I'd experienced firsthand as well. Um, and a lot of that comes down to, to boundaries. It's, you know, sometimes the best thing to say to your kids about things is, is no. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, so sometimes easier said than done. Yeah. Sometimes it's like the hardest sentence in the world to say, but sometimes you just need to say, no, we're not going to do that. And you really want to, but it, you know, and, and kids learn from that and they see, okay, we're going to um, work hard at, at saving for something else. And they'll appreciate it all the more when you, um, when you set that up. I'm living this right now. I mean, seriously, you would not believe how badly my 10-year-old wants a Plants vs. Zombies Halloween costume. It's January. It's $56. She's asking constantly. And so last night we finally said no, but if you want to figure out a way to pay for it, you can. So thank you for making me feel better. <laughs> that was a good sentence. <laughs> Katie, I have a real quick question, not to, um, not to get too personal, but how did you, as, as a 10 year old and as a teen, how did you know that your mom was incurring all of this credit card debt? Was that something that you talked about openly in your household? No, we didn't talk about it, but I just knew she was stressed. Um, you know, you could tell, like, I loved playing soccer and I, I just knew money was tight. I knew it was hard for her to, okay. to make things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and I come from a similar background where single mom and things were tight. And I remember as an eighth grader, um, she let me try out for this dance studio um, team and I made it. And I don't think she thought I would make it. I worked mm -hmm. really hard. And then when I made it, she said, we couldn't, you know, we can't afford it. And I remember just thinking that my world was, you know, my life had ended because I wasn't going to get to do this with all of my friends. And so there are little things I, so I totally, I, I resonate with, with your story there. Yeah. So I guess fast forward, um, to my college years and, and beyond, um, I, I got a degree in finance at the university of Colorado and really why I did that was because it felt practical. Uh, I was always good at math and seemed like a good path to go down, but I didn't really know why or or care. Um, I had an internship that I did while I was in college and it was with a, a lady who was a financial planner. And I realized that I really liked what she did and that I could see myself helping folks do what she was doing in my future. Um, so I knew that I couldn't be 22 and asking people for their life savings. So I should probably go and get some life experience, <laughs> which is what yeah. I did. So um, I learned from 
some really wonderful people. I had a, a few jobs where uh, I was helping financial advisors with building portfolios and just learned a lot about the investing side. Um, and then uh, a little over three years ago, made the switch over to having clients of my own and, and building my own practice and um, becoming a financial planner. And, and um, to anybody out there who's ever gone on their own and, and created their own business and, and made that transition from being in a place where you're making a salary and you have like a really steady income that you're used to and, and making that transition over to, okay, my next paycheck is coming from what I bring in. Um, that is a really, really, really huge change and it's hard. And I don't think I was quite mentally prepared for that. <laughs> Um, yeah. luckily I had, I had saved well, I had, I'd made, um, some good money in my, in my late twenties and I, and I hadn't, hadn't spent it because I knew that there was, I knew that there was something entrepreneurial that I wanted to do in my future and that that was going to take some financial flexibility to do so. And so from a, from a money standpoint, I was able to bridge that gap, but I was not prepared for the emotional difference that it is going from that place of stability to the place of instability. And stability is something that I think a lot of women really re can um, relate to. And that's a, a common fear that I hear with a lot of the women that I speak with is they worry that, that they're going to be okay and that they're going to have enough and that they're not going to be eat an alpo uh, when they're in their 70s. Um, but that's say financial... that all the time. <laughs> cat food. Are, are we going to be eating cat food? Yeah. No cat food. <laughs> but that, that theme of financial stability is something that a lot more women seem to face than men. Men have, it, it seems like they have more of a, a confidence about their personal finances, whether it's true or false. Um, it just seems to be there. Uh, whereas women struggle having that confidence uh, with their financial future, even though they might be set up better than the guy that's sitting next to them. Would you say that that lack of confidence is, is the biggest challenge for women when it comes to personal finances? In a lot of ways, yeah, because um, it stems from knowledge, right? Like if you don't understand what you're doing and why and, and how you're getting there, then you're not going to be confident about your plan. I've gotten to be, so when we talked about the, the CFA Society, um, something really neat that I've gotten to be a part of is um, they've been doing a lot of studies of how do we get more women interested in financial services, interested in being a financial advisor, because in my industry, it's like 20% female. Um, and what they found is girls lose interest in math around puberty, shocker, right? Um, but the two reasons that they give for why girls lose interest in careers that are STEM related, whether it's financial services, engineering, whatever, it comes down to two things. One is that they don't have role models that they can see that are successfully doing it. Um, and then the other is that their friends aren't doing it. And so if they don't see their friends doing it and they don't see cool ladies that they can look up to, they're like, I can't do that. I'm going to go do something else instead. Um, so it's something that like systemically starts really, really young. And so our our group has started to um, take part in some programs to uh, reach young girls when they're like in high school and in middle school, because we recognize that like that's when they're really, really impressionable. And that's, you know, even if it's talking to your daughter about setting up like their first savings account or whatever, 
Um, it just hasn't been a conversation that's been as common with women as it has been with men. So that whole we don't talk about money that went on for generations, we're flipping that script when it comes to girls. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I think we're seeing a lot of changes with that. You know, what's really interesting is we failed our daughters <laughs> completely through their teen years and talking to them about money and setting up savings accounts and that sort of thing. But it's, it is interesting that I have a junior in college and she is studying to be a finance uh, accounting major. She's an accounting major. I don't know how she ended up there, Katie, but I'm, I'm <laughs> glad she did. Love it. Well, I'd love to talk to her. <laughs> it's the yeah. best industry nobody tells girls about. Uh, one one thing also, uh, I guess, kind of going back to things you can do for your kids. Um, one of the best things that my mom did for me is when I turned 16, I, I had this car. It was an old Jeep Cherokee. It was older than I was. And she said, OK, if you want to drive it, I'll pay for the insurance, but you're on your own for gas. And she got me a credit card and she said, you're going to pay this off every single month. Um, so even though she didn't have the financial habit, she said, this is what you're doing. And I knew that I didn't have her as a backbone I, or as a, as a backstop. And so I babysat and I had a job and, um, and I paid it off every month and I got to like go to some fun concerts along the way. <laughs> um, but her telling me like, this is your responsibility. You're doing it. And your father and I are not bailing you out. At first I was kind of scared about it, but it was a really, really positive life lesson to learn um, at an age when a lot of teenagers don't necessarily, uh, their, their parents are a little more willing to bail them out. And I just, I didn't want to do that with my parents. Smart woman. That's fantastic. I don't think I, I had experienced paying a credit card bill until I was truly on my own. Um, so I love that. Still making some huge mistakes over here with my hand <laughs> in high in the air. <laughs> okay. But that's okay. We, if we know better, we can do better. So my daughter that's a junior in college, she's I'm going to cut her off today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my gosh. No. She, does, she does baby. I do love it. She is, she does on her, on her own, she does babysit. And she also tutors quite a bit, especially in math and she'll tutor other students. But, um, you know, she always needs a little extra for, you know, a new dress for a uh, sorority event or something that's coming up. It never fails. Oh, yeah. I was in a sorority for sure. I mean, I'm not saying my parents didn't help me out with, my, with college. My my dad paid my rent and my mom helped with tuition, but I was on my own for spending money and I figured it out. I worked and I figured it out. I think that's great. And if you can do it, anybody can do it. Right, Katie? Absolutely. You know, um, so I do a lot with Dave Ramsey, if you're familiar with him at all. And um, one of the things that they talk a lot about is how to pay for college and how to do it without taking on tons of student loans and tons of debt. And, and the reality is, is there's so many resources out there for families to figure things out. Yes, loans is a part of the picture, um, but work's a part of the picture. Um, you know, taking classes while you're still in high school, that's something that's an option. There's a story of, you know, there's plenty of stories of families that they tell their kids, okay, it's your senior year of high school. Your job is to apply for a scholarship every single day. And that's your your job senior year is to apply for scholarships. I mean, there's just so much out there. You just have to know where to look and, and how to look for it. And there's a lot of really great resources at high schools to, to help kids with figuring that out. It's just a lot of families don't know where to start and and, are, and have a lot of other things going on. And, and, and it's hard to focus on that. 
I totally can agree with everything that you just said. It is, it is a process and in within itself, just learning it, it's, it's a lot. And if you're busy and you're working and you've got other kids, you know, it's almost a full-time job. Totally. Yeah. But it is, like you said, it's out there. If you're hungry, you can find it. So Katie, knowing that there are some people listening who are in a position like Laura and I were in, you know, a, a few years ago, even as little as a year ago, and they were ready to go from head in sand about their finances to completely in control of their finances in their future. Where do you start? I know, I know what happened to me. I, I thought, oh my gosh, we don't have enough for retirement. And then I immediately just started putting everything into retirement. But I know there's a logical order for someone who's really ready to take control. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think before you can even do anything, it's kind of like having a New Year's resolution, right? Like if you decide I'm going to lose weight, you can't just go to the gym and spend seven hours a day at the gym. You need to take baby steps and you need to um, work with a trainer and have a plan and set things in motion. You can't just like wake up and all of a sudden be in shape. It takes time and it takes practice. Um, So I think first things first is you got to get a grasp of what your situation is. So if you don't know where your money's going every month, that's the first place that I'd start. Um, There's lots of really great apps out there that can help you with tracking that, um, whether it's Mint or Every Dollar or, you know, there's all kinds of great budgeting apps that help you get a good understanding of what have been my spending habits in the past. Because if I don't understand what my spending habits were in the past, then I can't change them for the future. Does that make sense? Yes. So knowing where you're starting from. Yes, absolutely. So know where you're starting from and then sit down and write yourself a couple of goals. Maybe it's um, you want to retire early or maybe it's you want to have your house fully paid off by the time your kids go to college or, you know, who knows what. But but really, like, think about, okay, 20 years out, like, what are some big big things that I want to be working towards. And then you're just going to kind of put those on hold for a second. The thing that I would do next is, so once you've taken a look at where your money is going every month, I take a look at your debts versus um, things that you're doing to save for the long term. And if you have a lot of money that's going to other people, going to debts um, outside of your mortgage, but you know, things like cars and student loans and credit cards and HELOCs, you know, that sort of thing, then I would really focus on paying those down first. Because once you pay your debts off, you get a raise. And that's really awesome. Everybody loves getting raises, right? Yes. And quick question on that. Is there a magic number as far as interest rate on debt that you say, if it's more than this, pay off that first. But like, for instance, I paid a student loan for mm-hmm. 14 years because my interest rate was just over 3%. So I didn't I didn't feel the need to pay that first because if you can do better earning on that money than the interest rate on the, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? That does make sense. And you know, honestly, so I would list out all your debts and I would um, have them, I would, in that list, I would have the dollar amount of it. And then I would also have the interest rate. And I'd pick the two that have the lowest dollar amount first, because it's good to see wins. This is as much of a mental game as it is anything. And really like your, your mental, I guess, strength through this is like, that's 80% of, of the work is at winning with money is just Mm -hmm. figuring out the mental side of it. 
So give yourself a couple of wins by attacking the two that have the lowest balances first and um, go to the lowest balance one first, attack that one, and then go to the second lowest next. And then I would look at them by interest rate. And I would say, okay, which one has the highest interest rate? I'm going to focus here first and then make my way down to the lowest interest rate from there. So you get some wins, um, but then you're math wise, you're going after the ones that have the highest interest rate so that that way you can pay yourself sooner. That makes sense. Okay. So we've looked at our debts and mm-hmm. figured out the order we're going to work on those. Yep. Let's say you knock those out. Where do you go yep. next? Yeah. Next, then it's good to build up um, an emergency fund. So that way you don't have to go into debt in the future. Um, we like to recommend that folks have somewhere between three and six months of of just kind of cold, hard cash sitting in some sort of high yield savings account. Um, if your pay is really steady and um, maybe you've got two incomes, then being more towards that three month of your living expenses is, is fine. Um, if you have a really lumpy pay or you work in an industry that um, has a lot of unknowns or maybe it's going through some questions or, you know, you might be worrying about if you might be losing your job sometime soon or you might have some other changes coming up, um, then I'd go more towards that six months, which for most families, it's, it seems like about $15,000 in savings um, on the three month side to anywhere like 40 to 50,000 on the six month side, which can take a while. It can take a while to, to build that up. Um, but if you're focused and you've paid off your debts, you'll get there so, so, so much sooner. How exciting would it be to look, Laura said in an episode or two ago about celebrate feeling gratitude for seeing the money in her yes. account and yeah. imagine the gratitude you'd feel as you saw that that savings that that three months or six months savings build up mm-hmm. yeah so what I've had um, a lot of people do is do you remember like those paper chains that you would make like around Christmas time when you were a kid it was like strips of construction yes. paper that you'd staple together so um, they'll either build a chain of uh, like if they've set a goal of we want to have $10,000 in the bank or whatever, um, they'll either build a chain of, of 10 links and then maybe halfway through have something exciting, like we're going to get a new couch or, you know, something for the family. Um, so that way you like can celebrate that milestone as a family together. It's a visual reminder. It's an action. Um, so it's not just money in the bank, but you actually get to visually see it every day in your kitchen, in your living room, wherever it is that you keep it. But it just is a really tangible way to celebrate along the way, Um, whether that's paying off debt or building up savings. It's a great tool for either of those. I love that. Yeah. Small small celebrations along the way. I love that. Yeah. We've got to make this fun, right? Because this is painful for a lot of us when when we go down this path. So I like any ideas to make it fun. Yep. Yeah. I mean, so I... I mentioned those big, big goals at the beginning, but you have to have smaller goals that are attainable that you can that you can easily hit in three to six months um, because that's going to give you motivation to keep going. Okay, so you've attained your goal. You are amazing. You've saved that three months yeah. or six months. Where do you go next? Next, I'd really get focused on um, saving for retirement. So we encourage folks to have about 15% of their income go into their long-term retirement savings, um, whether that's a 401k through work or 
Um, if you work for yourself, there's some options there. On the individual side, you have like a Roth IRA or a SEP IRA. Um, those are all really great avenues to, to save long-term for retirement. You know, what's funny is I remember very little from my childhood. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have a horrible memory, but I have this very vivid memory of being maybe in middle school and watching Oprah and she had Susie Orman on and Susie said, pay yourself first. Yes. Put it, so is that what you mean by invest, putting money into your retirement accounts? Absolutely. Yep. If you have it come out of your paycheck or if you have it come out of your bank right away, then you're not going to spend it. I know that I will spend what's in my checking account. So I keep like a fairly low balance in the actual checking side uh, because if it's there, I'll use it. (laughs) And so if I pay myself first and I take care of those things like putting aside money for retirement, um, I attend a church, I tithe, like I do that right off the top. It's a lot easier. And then you get to the end of the month versus if you do it the other way around It just always seems to come up short. So if you pay yourself first and do that off the top, um, it's a lot, lot, lot easier to make it happen. I have experienced that in real life, in real time, because we've always immediately just right off the top contributed to retirement accounts. Mm -hmm. But then at the end of the month, you know, I I didn't spend beyond my means, but Ultimately, we would spend every additional dollar we made. So the other savings goals, like if we wanted to save more than just that automatic little bit that we could do into 401ks, um, it just wasn't happening. And so I did that, Katie. I switched to now, you know, automatically it goes into 401k. But also once I get paid, I immediately move the amount that I want to save, the extra amount that we're working on. Yep. And if it's not there, if it's not in the checking account, you don't spend it. Like it just has to <laughs> yep. disappear or else it will get spent. Yes. If you don't give the dollar a name, it will go away. I have a question about paying yourself first, Katie, kind of sure. backing up and rewinding a little bit back to when Amanda was asking you, like in what order to pay off debt. Yes. At what point? So at one point, if you are aggressively attacking your debt, at what yep. point, you know, if you have, you know, if you still have remaining balances on cards or student loans that are below a certain percentage rate, at what point do you say, okay, start paying yourself first? Now you've attacked, you know, those the debt with the big interest. Now it's time to start saving while you're still working on this debt over here, but it only has X amount of interest rate. So, you know, it feels like a safe thing to pay yourself first. Yeah, I don't know that I necessarily use an interest rate as a threshold. Um, it's kind of more of how much of this is your income. So like in Colorado, a lot of people buy trucks that are like really expensive. <laughs> yeah, so they might get like a really great rate on the truck. But if the value of the truck is more than what your annual income is, like you need to like really get aggressive with paying that down. Now, so let's say, I don't know, maybe like 5%, I guess, would be a good kind of threshold to think through. So let's say you're, you have like a 401k plan at work. And if you put in 3%, they give you a 3% match. Like once you've gotten those higher, higher interest rate things taken care of, I would at least start to put in the amount where you get the match. You don't want to walk away from free money. Um, when you're, when you're really up to your eyeballs with really high interest rate stuff, I'd say put your 401k on hold. But um, once you've gotten the, like the really bad ones out of the way, 
then just start doing the minimum so that you get that match at work. Um, and then once you've gotten those other ones taken care of, then go back and you can increase that um, 401k up to that 15%. Thank you. That's awesome. And I'm just over here relishing just my husband and I are both self-employed, so we have no 401k and or employee match. So I'm jealous for all of those of you who do. Yeah. You know, I read a book recently and it's all about millionaires and they did a study. They interviewed like 11,000 people that were millionaires. And one of the questions that they asked, it was really interesting book. Um, blanking on the name right now, but, uh, one of the stats that they gave was that like over two thirds, maybe even three quarters of the people said that the number one reason of why they're a millionaire is because they saved consistently and had a diligent schedule into some sort of work-related savings plan, whether it's a 401k or if they're self-employed through something that they did that way. Um, But just having that consistent, diligent, just like working out, um, savings plan is what got them there. Something else that was- Perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Something else that was pretty neat about that book was um, talked about like where your money came from and how much you made. And everybody thinks like, okay, if I'm going to be a millionaire, I have to make hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. And the reality is, is uh, of those 11,000 people that were interviewed, um, the top three jobs were teacher, engineer, and I think like accountant or something. So those aren't jobs. I mean, teachers we know are like so poorly paid relative to the amount of work and the value that they bring to society. But even an engineer and an accountant, like, you know, you're not making tons and tons of money. They're, they're good jobs, definitely. But the average that most people made uh, over their lifetime that were in this, that were part of the study, averaged less than $100,000 per year in annual income. And so it really just goes to show the power of that compound savings over time. They were earning not six figures a year, but what did they end up with? I missed that part. Over a million dollars. Ah, well, that's reassuring. Yeah, anybody can do it. I listened to and that you know, Katie over Christmas. It was it was great because you don't think of it like that. You don't think of average middle class uh, jobs being able to provide you the opportunity to become a millionaire, right? Yeah, totally. And you know, it, this might be another episode. While we're talking, we might talk another time about special ways for um, for self-employed people to really set themselves up. Because yes. I also am self-employed like Laura, but I do have a 401k. It's called an individual or a solo 401k. And I mm-hmm. did not know that existed until last summer. Yeah. And I, I missed out on a lot. I wish I'd known earlier, but I think a lot of people don't know about it. So that might be something we can talk about too. Um, Okay, so you are now like living your best life with your debt paid down off your um, your retirement automatically being funded. You've got your your cash three to six months set aside. What's next? Yeah, what's next? So a lot of people ask, when should I start saving for college? What's a 529? What are my options? That's when you want to start saving for your kid's college. I don't want anybody saving for college if they're not taking care of their retirement first. So make sure you're taking care of your um, your future. You only get one crack at retirement uh, versus your children have many ways to figure out how to go to college. So college is something college savings is something that is um, after you are really 
nailing the 15% to your retirement and everything else, that's when you start saving for college. Um, I'd also say paying some extra to your mortgage at that point is a, is a good thing to do. Um, and then finding ways to give, be generous, uh, help others. Like th- those are really the, the next things that I would focus on. So the, the college savings, putting extra towards your house, because if you can not have a mortgage payment, that frees up a lot and, and finding ways to be generous with others. I love that. That is how much. <laughs> Laura just shared about a story about being able to give as her financial situation improved. So I love, I love that you put that in there because I don't think everybody says that when they talk about, you know, your aspirations for what, what you do as you meet your financial goals. I was just going to say, there's nothing more fun you can do with your money than help others. I recently read somewhere that it is our job to become financially independent and wealthy so that we can give back and build better communities for and empower other people to become Mm -hmm. more financially independent. And so when I, when you look at it like that, like it is our civil duty, Mm -hmm. it just makes perfect sense. Yep. It's good stuff. Love it. Fires me up. We have this amazing path now that, that our listeners can start moving toward. They've got their they've got their ducks in a row. They've got their steps. What are potential pitfalls that you see women struggle with when it comes to financial independence? Do you have a definition for financial independence? For me, financial independence is being able to say, "I'm going to do this a different way." Uh, whether it's walking away from a job that you hate, um, getting out of a relationship that might be really toxic or damaging, um, just having that freedom to be able to do things in a way that you never imagined possible. Ooh, I like that a lot. So good. I always think, you know, it's the getting to the point where you work because you love what you do. Yeah. But if it went away tomorrow, you would be able to continue to, to move forward in life and be okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So if on a path to financial independence, what are potential pitfalls that you see women or your clients deal with? I guess one thing is, so if you're setting money aside and you're putting it in the bank, like make sure you're getting invested. It's important to have money in the stock market. And I think that there's a lot of fear that, oh, well, what if I lose it? And you really have to keep that long-term perspective of, okay, over time, this works. It may have, we may have negative returns in time, but over time it works. And so sometimes people are just too conservative with their investments and they need to make sure that they um, are getting that stock exposure that they need. Um, And that really comes with like finding somebody who's going to be on your team. You know, you don't have to do it all yourself. And I've had girlfriends and, and clients say to me, well, I don't have enough to work with somebody. And you, you work with people that have way, way, way more than me. And the reality is, is there's no amount that's too little to start asking other people for their help and for their advice. Uh, because if you don't have some trusted counsel with you, um, you're not going to be able to see what your blind spots are. That makes a lot of sense. And I think, I think people fear the market a lot just because if you look at it day to day, it does look like a roller coaster. But you mentioned, you know, it's the idea of playing the long game Mm -hmm. um, that makes so much sense. And you know what I recently heard that honestly made me want to barf? That one big problem is some people don't even know, don't even have their their retirement accounts invested. 
Like don't yeah. even realize that it wasn't actually in the market. It was basically in a savings account their whole life. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, it just happened yesterday. I was so sad. I had a lady come in and she showed me her, her retirement account and it was in like a it was in an annuity that was returning one and a half percent. I was so sad for her. <laughs> oh jeez. Okay, so that's the It happens. <laughs> We're telling everybody today, if you are not absolutely positive that your 401k or IRA is actually in the market, in equities, you need to go look. Yes. Yeah. And actually, like in your 401k, a really good trick just to see if it is invested. Um, a lot of times they give you like a menu of um, of investments to choose from. And often there's ones that have like a year associated with it. It's called like a target date fund. So it might be like 2050 or 2045, something like that. If you're choosing something that has a date with it, then that means that they're allocating it and that they're putting it into stocks for you. So um, if you've got the option to do a date, it's a good one-stop shop. Um, and that's just a great way to make sure that you're getting getting at least that stock exposure um, people see all those options and they just freeze. And so uh, either they do one into everything and say, okay, there's 10 options here. I'm going to do 10% into everything, which is not the right thing to do, or they choose nothing. So if you have a target date fund, um, you want to have it line up with when you want to retire. So like I'm in my thirties, I want to retire um, in like around 2050 or so, right? Like about 30 years from now. So a 2050 target fund is what I would choose. Katie, just to, as we close here, what is one thing that someone could do today to get a win on their path to financial success? Um, what I want folks to focus on is 1%. So is it saving 1% more? Is it paying 1% more of your debt off? Is it increasing your 401k contributions by 1%? But think about what that 1% in your financial life can look like and make that 1% tweak. Oh, that's great. Thank you for saying 1% and not 10%. I think people can swallow (laughs) starting with 1%. Right? Yeah. 1% is doable. You got to start with little things and you get those little wins. And then eventually before you know it, you're saving 15%. Katie, we're so grateful that you joined us today. And if people want to find you and look up your services, where would they go to do that? Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Um, So we've got a website. It's truewealthadvisorsinc.com. You can also send me an email, katie.green at lpl.com. It's k-a-t-y dot g-r-e-e-n-e at l-p-l, Larry Paul Larry dot com. Or you can look for me on LinkedIn. I'm there as well. This is Amanda Kessler. And I'm Laura Ford. And this conversation about money and finances was worth a million. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Best Friends Finance. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share us with your BFF, gal pal, work wife, mom, daughter, or anyone that might crave more financial security. Until next time. 